Do you want to? Well, if you want to go for one, then it's. I got a chip on my shoulder about people right now. What's the chip? The chip has two parts. Part one is um, people, the clients that are sending horses to train or coming to clinics that um, that think when a horse is getting emotional that that's too much pressure on them. And they just immediately assume that the trainer, I'm not even talking about people that are my events, I'm just talking about people that talk to me and mm-hmm. they try to tell me how bad their previous experience was. And so they're I, talking about other trainers. They're talking about other trainers, other clinicians. <clears throat> And they come up to me, and then they're trying to convince me how their horse got a bad deal in training. And that happens. That for sure happens. But what I'm finding is that most of the time, the owner had taught the horse things it didn't need to know. And then the trainer was just trying to help fix those things. And so the part that the owners don't understand is if you teach a horse to push into pressure, if you teach a horse to do the wrong thing, then the next guy that's going to fix it probably has to put more pressure on than what would have been necessary if they had worked with that horse from the beginning mm-hmm. before it had learned the, the wrong behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's what they don't understand. So then they blame the trainer. The trainer's too aggressive. The trainer's scaring my horse. The trainer's bad. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> I think the trainer was doing what they needed to do. Yeah, um, to be relevant to that horse. Yeah. I'm not saying, I, again, I think the number of horses that are getting... Um, a raw deal, especially in the scheme of like recreational horses or foundation training, colt starting. I'm not talking about like performances where there's still things being done that shouldn't, shouldn't be done more in terms of like drugs and really abusive type training. Mm-hmm. But when you just send your horse off to get started or foundation training, most of those people, they're, they're, they love riding horses. They love the horses. They're trying to do right by the horse. They may not always know exactly what to do, when to do it, as none of us do. We're all you know, kind of figuring it out to a degree, but they're getting blamed wrongfully, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. For trying to fix a product of something that they put in there. Yeah. yeah. Not that, well, from that somebody else yeah. put in there. And so when same thing when somebody comes to a clinic and let's say, let's say for the, let's say they've owned the horse two years and they were unconfident riding that horse for the first year. So they rode that horse around holding the horse back with the reins the whole time. Mm-hmm. So as far as that horse is concerned, reins mean go. Right. (laughs) Because every step that that horse takes forward while there's pressure with the reins, you're teaching it reins mean go. Mm -hmm. So it's learning to push into the reins and ignore the rider's seat and keep going. Mm -hmm. Usually it's fairly slow, walk, trot, maybe a little bit of a fast canter. And then then the owner kind of figures out some things, gets more comfortable. And then they they start to learn how to ride on a loose rein. They kind of get that going. But then they come, come along the way of, they're ready to ride with contact and start teaching the horse shaping with the reins. Mm-hmm. So vertical flexion, lateral flexion. And then it doesn't go very well. And guess the horse, why? The horse moves forward too, too far. Yeah, because this horse for now for a long time has had hours and hours of riding being held back mm-hmm. by the reins. And then giving a release when they stop. It's like, oh my God, they stopped. I'm going to let them yeah. have the, the bit back or you know whatever. So we're getting a release on that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so now we're trying to say, okay, reins are for shaping. We're going to keep the horse moving forward, but we want the horse to be have correct flexion, vertical. You know, hopefully their back is round. Hopefully they're using their hindquarters. Um, hopefully their bend is correct on the circle. All these things, and the horse can't think anything but, oh, we're just telling them slow down, slow down, slow down. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard for that horse to work through that. 
And then as a clinician, as I'm trying to help this horse understand this, because the rider is now ready to go to the next stage, it's going to get a little ugly here because this horse is going, wait, 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 wait. I bet this is not what this has meant for a long time. Mm-hmm. But today, all of a sudden, it means something different. And that's where it's a lot harder to, to, to teach it on a horse that learned something it didn't need to know, which is that reins are a brake pedal that just lays on there. And they learn to wear the pressure. So then when you come along and ask for shaping it, they're all sorts of confused. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I'm not blaming the rider. I'm just saying they need to be understanding then when the clinician or the trainer tries to help them help the horse through that. What's an example of like what method would you, would be used to help the horse understand that that means carry yourself a certain way and not go faster? So that's a great question. So, so let's, let's assume the horse has had no previous training. Okay. So let's say I start the horse riding it around on a loose rein. Reins only mean turn right, turn left, and actual stop, but you're not just holding on them to slow them down. So now that horse is learning to follow the seat, they're steering off the legs and the focus. Now I would deem that horse ready to learn contact, riding on a, on a, on a feel or on vertical flexion. All I'm going to do is pick up the reins and hold and wait for that horse to come off of it and give. Okay, that's mm-hmm. it. And it's probably going to go pretty well, pretty smooth, one step at a time. And over the course of two weeks, three weeks, that horse is going to be riding walk, trot, canter on, a, on, a, on, a, on the vertical with a nice feel because it didn't learn anything bad, right? Yep. But now let's take the horse that's learned to ride around pushing into the bridle the whole time. Now, the horse doesn't think it's pushing into the bridle. The, the, the rider's making it push into the bridle because they're holding the reins too short and using the reins as a brake pedal instead of using their seat to control the speed, okay? So now, I'm probably gonna have, if I just try to hold on the reins and have that feel be different than what the rider was offering them previously, I'm probably gonna get in a big fight with the horse. And this is, again, where the trainer gets the bad reputation for working through that. And so you could work through that, but it's probably not gonna go very well because that rider, that horse has a lot of associations with the contact already. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to come down to a standstill and I'm going to put, pick up a really light feel on the bridle. And then I'm going to turn my toes out and squeeze with my legs. Probably have spurs on. Okay. So I'm going to squeeze. So if that horse pushes in my hands, I'm going to squeeze with my legs. So I'm not going to get in a tug of war match with my hands. I'm going to hold and be a post mm-hmm. with my hands, but only offering a light, light feel there. And then add pressure with my legs. As soon as that horse gives, all the pressure goes away. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that if a horse has learned to brace in a certain area, if you can do it differently, um, like by putting pressure on the belly with your legs versus pulling on the reins more, it's going to make a lot easier of adjustment because you're, you're essentially putting in a new synapsis in that horse's brain, a new pattern, uh, a new link there to say, you could do this option, you could give to it instead of just wear it mm. and push into it. Mm. Another way that a person could do that is let's say that horse had been ridden in a snaffle bit and been pushing on the snaffle bit the whole time. Well, if you switch to a bridle or shank bit, it's going to have pressure now on the chin strap. Well, that's going to feel very different. So it's like a, it's almost like a brand new cue, a brand new thing. Mm-hmm. Or you could go the other way and go into a, back into a bosol. Yeah, I was going like to ask that. that. Could you instead use a bosol and maybe even have a bosol and a, and a snaffle or whatever they were using in their mouth so that they can kind of understand that a little bit differently? Exactly. So, so it's just trying to find a way to come at it from a different angle mm. than what the previous rider was doing. Mm. I see. So that, but I mean, 
how does how long does that process take to kind of repave that road? I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the horse. Yeah, that's going to depend on the horse and how how long and how well how hard the rider had to hold them back. You know, mm-hmm. when they were going and what the horse's physical aptitude is. Because there's another piece to this. What we're what we've been talking about the whole time is the mental part. Is the horse under what what is what does the horse understand mentally that the rider's saying to do? But if you take a horse that's really athletically gifted and naturally has a round back, naturally wants to use his hindquarters, natu- uh, naturally flexes, uh, breaks at the pole, that's going to be real easy, and they're going to they're make progress super fast. So you, know, you have the mental part, and then you have the physical part, and so the more physically, ap- more aptitude the horse has physically, the easier it's going to go. Because you're talking about, like, another little, little point that I like to make is that a lot of people really focus on the horse's top line and the back muscles getting rounder through their back, but in order for the back to round, the core has to engage. So it's kind of opposite. It's like we focus on the back rounding and think that's coming from the back, but it's not. It's coming from the core, the horse's core engaging. And that's why doing things like ground poles and moving the horse up a hill, backing with their head down, moving, traveling with their head down, all that stuff engages their core, the horse's core. Um, so just another part to look at. Then the third part is emotions. So a lot of people don't realize when they're asking the horse to have vertical flexion, and I didn't mean to make this all about vertical flexion here, but it's kind of the, the option we chose to take here. Because mm-hmm. we could talk about they taught the horse to not go into a trailer. You know, they stood at the back of the trailer tapping the horse on the butt and never got it in for, for 10 days. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, well, that's going to be Some, a harder horse to trailer load than yeah. one that has never seen a trailer. Some pattern that's been learned. Exa- exactly. Um, but but just to finish the idea here with, with the riding with contact... Um, I think it's also important to understand that a horse has to have a fairly high level of emotional fitness to handle contact because they're they're turning loose to us, controlling them in a position for a longer period of time, not just like a step or two. It's like we build it into minutes, into 5, 10, 15 minutes. Um, so that, that takes emotional fitness. The other part is we're restricting their vision. They can't see as far in front of them when their head's vertical. And so that takes, again, a high level of emotional fitness. That horse has to feel very comfortable in the environment, with the rider, all those things in order to be willing to do that. So it may or may not be that they didn't understand. It may or may not be that physically, you know, you got to factor in all those pieces to it mm-hmm. to really um, train it in the best way. Mm-hmm. Is there ever a situation where, I mean, sticking with that vertical flexion and a horse going through the bit, is there ever a time where you'd have to go all the way back down to the ground and do something like, you know, ground driving or something from behind the horse instead of on top of the horse? Probably not if they're at the level that they're asking for contact, right, with contact. Um, but they're, they're, every now and again, somebody will be think they're ready to teach their horse something that the horse has no business doing, <laughs> you know. But um, by the, usually by the time my students, anyway, are asking me to ride with contact, um, the horse is fairly, you know, mm-hmm. safe to ride and it has to kind of figure it out there. But uh, there's no reason why a person couldn't do it on the ground. It's just usually the, the person would rather be on their back at the time. Yeah. Well, just going back to kind of the original topic of things that are in there, that horse there that uh, trainers have to fix, it's like they don't, you know, you have a lot of horses that are in training that are getting their basic foundation, but also like the problem horses don't come to you because they don't have a problem. It's like if they're there with you, yeah, <laughs> you know, they're kind of at a, in a position where that pattern so far learned that the owner can't take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just find that there's this, there's some extremists out there. And there's people that want to say the horse is never, ever wrong. The horse is always trying to do 
what we want. And it's like, well, I mean, you're, I mean, you're right. A horse is a horse. I, I get that. I'm not arguing that. But if a horse learns to do something bad, they're trying to do something. And the, the, the higher level of prey animal instincts that horse has, the, meaning like the less domesticatable that horse is, the, the better prey animal it is, the harder it's going to be to train and, and everything, which means that horse is going to be resisting the, the process. And resisting it um, could mean not trusting very quickly. You know, it doesn't mean the wrong technique has been applied. It may just mean that that horse is um, a little more challenging. I own, I know I own one of those horses. Mm-hmm. You know, my mare is a very strong prey animal. I mean, she is, she would not, most people would not get along with her. She's a very sensitive, flighty prey animal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only because of what I know and how often I want to ride and work that I get along with her fine. Um, and so people need to realize there are levels of this, like, you could have a really gentle, quiet horse who does not have very strong animal instincts all the way up to you could have a horse that probably doesn't need to be ridden ever <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's that strong of a animal. And I've only ever seen one or two of these horses that were that bad. I mean, not that they couldn't be handled by people, just that they weren't ever going to be... And the horses I'm referring to, I even rode. Okay, so I did ride them and I didn't get bucked off. But I never, I, I, I handed them back to the owner and said, I don't think we should be riding this horse. I think it's dangerous at best. They're not turning loose to these things in a given amount of time, which is a, a fairly long time. I'm talking about months of training going mm-hmm. into this. And it just, I don't think it makes sense um, when the horse is at that level of primal. So like we could talk about zebras and it's like zebras are not listed under the domesticatable I was just gonna say. <laughs> animal quadrant. There's, there's a, there's like a list of like seven things that an animal has to be to be domesticatable. They have to eat, you know, in captivity. They have to breed in captivity. They have to be trainable. They have to, um, you know, there's certain things that they got to follow. There's seven of them and you can find it somewhere on online. Well, zebras can do a couple of those, but they can't do all of them. And so, you, so as a rule, we don't say zebras are domesticatable. Now, somebody's out there right now going, I know somebody that trained a zebra. And the point is that's, that zebra that you did see get trained is the exception to the rule. But as a, as a whole, as a breed or a species or whatever, you can't say this, um, these animals are domesticatable because majority of them are not. Mm-hmm. So when you say horses are domesticatable, you have to realize there is a, a spectrum there of real easy, really easily the ones that, that were the first volunteers to be domesticated and then all the way up to horses like the one I own that is on the more closer to a zebra side of things, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't really want to be domesticated. Um, and sometimes those ones that are more on that, that side you typically end up being some of the best, most amazing horses we've ever seen. But that doesn't mean they're the easygoing trail horse that everybody needs to own. Right. They still have that sensitivity and a, yeah. a reactiveness. <clears throat> so now I'm going to jump into something that I've just been, it's been irritating me. I see a lot of professionals, equine professionals. I don't care what, if you're not a professional and you're not somebody who's influencing other people, then say whatever you want. I don't care. But if you are a knowledgeable equine professional, I don't think you should be on social media making statements that horses should be trained without using ropes, without using round pens, without using any sort of um, tools. Like, because what, what happened is there's a handful of people that have trained horses, trained a couple horses. I, and I don't even know the whole story of like what, what they actually did use because there's what they tell you and then what, what they actually did. Um, 
But they're basically claiming resistance-free training, no ropes, no tools, no round pens, no sticks, no nothing. And we train the horse using love and love and carrots. And if even if I were to believe them and say, okay, yeah, you did do that, and which they probably did to a degree. I still think there's a little bit of misleading there, but because I'm going to guess they use some sort of advantages, mm-hmm. whether that was some sort of pen or some sort of rope or some sort of stick, some sort of tool for communicating to block the horse or to, to move the horse. Even if they did train, train a horse, that is not a rule that you should make to say all horses should be trained this way. And by, by some of the claims that they're making, they make it seem that everybody should just learn better, should know more about training and then be able to do it this way. And it's like, it just doesn't work like that. You know, horses are, are going to be horses and they're still going to make decisions to not act like partners sometimes. And um, we need to set the environment and the tools up for success so that we're safe. And um, that's where I don't put, um, I prioritize safety very, very high. And I don't like, I think that's compromising people's safety when they, they're misleading people thinking as a general rule, horses can be trained without using any tools, any ropes, any round yeah. pens, any stuff. That kind of makes me wonder if a horse is walking through you and you're only doing positive reinforcement training. I mean, you have to yeah. get the horse off of you and some, you know, and not to say that, that treat, you know, treat training or positive reinforcement training doesn't have space inside of a normal, you know, like what you do with your horses. Like it's, it's good to give your horse a treat when they come up to you and you get them out of the pasture. But if they're going to walk through you, you have to respond to that. It's not like they're not going to walk through you just because they didn't get a treat in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and those, the handful of horses that were trained using this, I just disagree with the idea. It's like, you're trying to make a rule using one example mm-hmm. and it's like I could show you 10 examples of horses that couldn't be trained yeah. using that method and so that's where I have the issue because to me I need to have a, a more generalized method that would apply to the majority not to the minority yeah. and that's that's my issue with it and I think it's misleading to people and then when somebody come when somebody who has a horse at home that can't, doesn't fit those parameters and then they ask for help from a professional and then the professional says well we need to use this tool we need to use this round pen. We need to use this rope. And then that person, you know, at a core value level says, well, no, I saw somebody else doesn't need to use these things. And now there's an issue. Well, you're setting that person up to put themselves in danger, you know, or not getting the help that they needed. Yeah. The more I learn about, uh, about horses and horsemanship and, and all that stuff, it's kind of like rules. It's really hard to apply blanketing rules to horses and horse training because, yeah. And this is something that you kind of hear a lot with uh, with trainers and and uh, in the video library here several times. You have to address <laughs> the horse that shows up that day. You know, just because uh, a horse might be real gentle and and uh, you know real willing to learn one day, the next day it could be a completely different horse. You know, the weather could change, or you know they could have gotten in a fight with somebody in their pen, or you know who knows why they might be hot and bothered that next day. Your tools and approach to training that horse is going to be different than it was the day before. And so having those blanketing statements of like, well, you only have to do it this way. And that's the only way that you can do it. It's kind of, uh, you know, it'd be really hard to, to train, you know, if you had 10 different horses that were different, every single one of them would have a different kind of style of training that would need to be applied to them. And some of them do, you know, respond better to positive reinforcement, but Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, there's, there's lots of them out there that, uh, especially if they've learned, 
you know, maybe like a blank canvas horse would be a little bit different, but especially if a horse has had any interaction with humans, like they've learned that they can push in certain ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a big difference between they've learned it or it's just in there innately. Mm -hmm. And it, depending on how difficult it is innately, it, that usually would determine how persistent it is. Um, when it's learned behavior, something a person taught them, what's going to determine how, how ingrained that pattern is, it would mean how scared or how much relief did the horse get when it learned that thing. Mm. So like, let's say, let's say a person tries to ride their horse away from home and as they're riding away from home, the horse starts to get concerned and they keep riding. And as the, the further away they get from home, the more it's calling back to its buddies and the more scared it gets till eventually the horse spooks and the rider falls off. And then the horse runs back to the barn terrified and then gets relief with its buddies. Mm. Well, <clears throat> well now you've taught that horse two things. You've taught it to get really scared away from home. And you've taught it to get a lot of relief with his buddies. So you probably now have a horse that's really buddy sour or buddy sweet and really barn sweet, meaning it doesn't want to leave, um, leave the barn. And you could do that all in one moment. Mm. You know, one of the things I think is really unfortunate is a lot of people don't put very much emphasis on weanling development, you know, tr training them as weanlings. Yeah. And uh, weanlings are super, super sensitive around their pole and behind their ears. And I think so many people put the halters on them too quick and they start trying to just pull them around because they're kind of little and you can just kind of manhandle them. And I really disagree with that, that technique uh, 100%. And then usually they end up flipping them over and, uh, and then those patterns can be in there for the rest of their horse's life, mm -hmm. you know, of being scared of that pressure from behind their pole yeah. and being tied up to something. And Yeah, I mean, horses are full-functioning learners at birth. So it's like if, if they get something that's in there, I mean, it, it can be in there for a long time. Maybe it's even something that you don't see until a lot later, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's what I had on my mind. <laughs> that's all. Feel good to kind of get it off your chest. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to keep saying it because I just, there's, again, there's a lot of people saying it the other way and um, I just want people to, yeah. to become aware. But I think um, there's so many uh, things that are false being presented on social media that I, I believe the general public is aware of that mm -hmm. and is skeptical of, of BS being told yeah, on there anyways. Definitely starting at least to trend that way, like yeah. the whole emphasis on the existence of fake news and what can you, you know, but. Yeah, so if you're, if you're making really outrageous claims, um, even if it's true with that one horse, I think most people are gonna go, yeah, well, it's true with one horse and they'll see, they'll see past it and, and they'll use their own judgment you know, and making, making decisions. But, um, I just like to educate people on the difference between the person is getting too aggressive and going way too fast with the horse and therefore creating problems, or this horse is a really high spirited prey animal and we're having problems because that horse is not a very tame horse, you know, not, not a very, uh, domesticatable horse, you know, and those are the two, the, the two spectrums. So I just want to create more awareness from people to be able to read and interpret different situations to use their own judgment to say, when is it, when is the trainer being too aggressive or the person, the owner, I'm saying trainer, but whoever's handling the horse, who, who started it, the horse or the person? Cause the, the reality is either one of them can be at fault. Um, either the horse is being in a more extreme prey animal or the, the, uh, person is, is just for whatever reason being too, 
too fast, too forceful with the horse and not using enough psychology. Mm -hmm. That kind of makes you think like, well, if the, I mean, the horse is innately going to be a little bit more of a prey animal or, or not, you kind of have to get into a little bit more of taming with that horse, you know, get them a little bit more used to and confident around people and being handled and trained and pushed around before you can start getting into that next, that next level yeah. of actually training them. Exactly. And I think that's what <laughs> horsemen versus trainers understand. Horsemen understand when a horse is too uncomfortable to learn and therefore be trained mm -hmm. and they need to be tamed more right. and become more gentle, like you're saying. Yeah, get in the right right yeah. frame of mind for learning. Because otherwise, it's yeah. like you were saying, if they're scared and that, you know, you're around them and they get scared and then, that you know, you put them up and they get big relief, they're just not going to want to learn around you. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts. I look forward to, to doing this again. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Rose Horsemanship Center, Pear Tree Ranch, and Copperline Farm. If you'd like to be a sponsor of the podcast, please go to www.thehorsemansuniversity.com, scroll to the bottom, and click Sponsor. Thanks again, and we look forward to bringing you more of these in the future.